Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Luis Serrano, President and CEO of Sunshine Retirement Living. Based in Bend, Oregon, Sunshine has 32 communities across 16 states with a focus on middle market senior living. Although Sunshine has not had a major COVID-19 outbreak in its communities, the pandemic has clouded the senior living provider's strategic plans. Although the future is uncertain and nobody knows how the pandemic will end, Serrano thinks it could ultimately result in fewer staffing headwinds and possibly even more demand for the middle market. For now though, the future remains hazy. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Last year, we received more than 100 entries for consideration. We're looking to celebrate more unique projects this year, including both new development and rehabs that are improving the lives of seniors through innovative design. If you think you have a project that fits that description and you're looking to showcase it, visit shnawards.com. Submissions are opening June 1st. The early bird deadline is September 30, and the final entry deadline is October 31st. Now, here's my interview with Luis Serrano, President and CEO of Sunshine Retirement Living. Luis Serrano, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. I wanted to start by talking a little bit about your company, Sunshine Retirement Living. I was hoping that you could tell us about the history of your company. I understand that you all have worked with holiday retirement in the past. So trace your history from then to now and tell me a little bit about what you all do. Sounds great. Hi, Tim. First of all, let me um, say thank you for having me in your podcast. It's It's a pleasure to be here and happy to contribute as much as I can. So to with regards to your question... My late wife, May Sunshine Hassa Serrano, uh, was on the board of Holiday Retirement for years until the company sold to Fortress in 2007. And uh, she worked with Bill Colson and his partners and was very familiar with the space. And at that point, when the company sold, the family, uh, my family, did not want to get out of the senior living industry and decided to um, keep most of the communities and not sell them. And so May and I started Sunshine in 2009 to manage the family-owned senior living portfolio. That's how uh, we started in the the industry. Got it. And also, tell me more about what what the current COVID-19 situation is at Sunshine Retirement Living. Sure. So out of the 32 communities that we manage, only one has an outbreak in Colorado, uh, which we handle swiftly and, and professionally. It's obviously now under control. We were the last community in the area to get it. And I think that to the strict protocols that we, we follow in other communities. But it was definitely a challenging time in the community. We were able to control it by separating. We tested everybody. That's another thing that we are very proud of. We have testing capabilities at all of our communities. And we were able to separate the positive cases from the negative, manage them separately. And uh, ultimately, we are now, I believe we only have two cases that are positive left. Everybody else has, um, you know, transitioned from the positive to negative. So good news on that front. But overall, I would say we have been able to keep all, you know, the vast majority of the communities safe from coronavirus. 
That's good news. I'm very interested in how you have tested your your residents and your employees if you are in testing the employees too. I guess I've seen other providers working with laboratories, also with some of their partners. So how have you gotten your testing kits when you are testing people? And have you had any difficulty so far in sourcing any of that stuff? It was absolutely challenging. There were no testing available for a long period of time. Sunshine was at the forefront of partnering with a testing lab. Uh, we partnered with uh, Vicor Scientific, and we purchased Respira ID test kits. And so we have a storage of them in stock in each of the communities. And when we have to, in case of an outbreak, or if we have to test a resident, or if we have to test uh, an employee, we have them available so we can so we can test on the spot without having to wait for the government or any other institution to help us. We we are self sufficient. We have doctor's orders already ready to go. And uh, thanks to that, I believe, you know, the families, the residents, uh, every stakeholder that is involved in the retirement community is is more at, at ease and uh, knowing that we have this capability at our disposal. Yeah, that makes sense. And we've heard stories in addition to difficulties getting testing. We've also heard stories about providers who have had difficulties getting personal protective equipment you know, PPE, things like gowns and masks and gloves. H- have you all seen a l- difficulty getting PPE? And what's the current PPE situation at Sunshine? Yes, it has been challenging. Uh, thankfully, we, we have a very strong purchasing group internally that has a strong relationships with uh, uh, large logistic co- logistical companies like Ecolab, Cisco, etc. And they have done their best to keep us properly supplied during this very challenging time. We still experience some shortages and delays, but the situation is getting progressively better. We now have gloves, we have masks. The thing that we struggle the most right now is with gowns, but we are doing the best we can to, to be fully supplied. We obviously are working with a multitude of partners to get that done. And like I said, I am very proud of my team. They've been working overtime, you know, crazy hours to make sure, you know, that uh, our communities were properly supplied. So at this point, overall, the situation is is stable. Great. That's also good news. What about the staffing picture? I've heard providers talk about how they're they're having trouble getting enough people to work in their community sometimes. You know, I think that was probably a bigger factor earlier in this pandemic when there was a lot of that unknown. But have you been able to staff your communities? Do you feel good about your staffing levels? Tell me more about that. Well, as you know, staffing has been very tight in the industry for years, uh, not just because of coronavirus at this point, but ever since 2003 with the boom of uh, senior living development and construction and the opening of new communities, you know, there's a shortage of staffing across the board. The way we have addressed that has been by increasing how attractive our company is for uh, livestock members. So we have made a big effort over the past, specifically the past year, to create better incentives for staff members to want to work at Sunshine. Ultimately, that is what it comes down to. You want to have staff members that are motivated, that are excited, that have a passion for seniors, that have a you know big, big heart. That's ultimately what seniors and their families care about. And so we we still are in some communities a little bit short. We have uh, two full-time recruiters just working on getting the right team members in place for all our 32 communities. And it is, it is a challenging time, but I wouldn't say that it's more challenging than, than it was before. 
I actually, if there's a silver lining out of this dreadful pandemic, which has impacted all of us, is that maybe staffing will become a little bit easier for senior living as uh, staff or, you know, employees from other industries like hospitality and restaurants maybe can be drawn to, to senior living uh, since those other industries are even more impacted than ours. I've heard as this pandemic has gone on, I've heard of some senior living providers essentially bubbling up their communities by getting not only their residents to stay in place, but also their staff. Like um, some providers have actually gotten their staff to to live on site for a while to make sure that their infection control protocols are airtight. I'm curious if you have done anything like this at any of your communities. And I ask this because I remember Holiday, I believe, used to have live-in managers at some of their communities. So I thought maybe there'd be a, a connection there. That, that is correct. We we actually started with that model of the living managers when we started sanctioning in 2009. But we moved away from that model for two reasons. One, because we that model had a time and age, you know, 10 years, 20 years ago. But we needed to professionalize the executive director. So we went from the couples managers to the executive director, which is a more professional role uh, with a, a higher caliber of uh, education, etc., and we have not had our team members uh, sleep in the community. We also think that it's it's important for the team members to get a break and be able to recharge outside the community. It's a very draining job. And so we think that uh, getting them out of the community and back is, is actually more positive. With regards to the pandemic and coronavirus, we have protocols in place that are very strict. So we take temperatures multiple times a day to all the staff members. We have everybody wearing PPE. You know, everybody is, you know, if, if anybody gets in, in touch with somebody that has had coronavirus, they stay away from the community. We have a, a whole array of protocols that has, you know, made us safe. So far, like I said, 31 of our communities haven't had any any cases inside the community. And uh, we've been able to keep all the residents, uh, you know, completely safe without having to resort to drastic measures like that, which I, I would say would have a, a, you know, a very strong impact on the lives of our, of our staff. We've talked a little bit today about PPE and about testing and also just having to stay competitive with staffing right now. Obviously, though, all of this costs money. So I'm curious, how have expenses gone up since the beginning of the pandemic? Um, are you seeing them like go a lot up right now? And what do you find that you're spending your money on right now? And, and also, how, do you, how are you managing your expenses? Do you have to balance it somewhere? Well, you're absolutely correct. Expenses are, have gone up and are going up. We have overtime, you know, more overtime. We have, uh, you know, to buy personal protective equipment at ridiculous prices, you know, probably in some cases, 20, 30 times what they used to cost like, you know, three, four months ago. We have disruption in the staffing. We also have seen managers, uh, executive directors and, you know, uh, over purchase out of fear of running out, especially for certain, certain type of, uh, PPE. We had also management exclusively focused on, on the safety of our residents. They, they just focused on that and they took their eye off the ball on, on other things like, you know, expense control, which I totally understand and I do not blame them for it. I'm actually glad that they did that. As a result, we've seen expenses uh, increase dramatically and we are, you know, we are suffering. And uh, that's something that hopefully will be corrected in the next uh, couple of months as the uh, situation normalizes and we start seeing the new normal. But it is concerning, and um, I, you know, as a CEO of the company, I have to focus on that in the coming weeks. Definitely, and I guess in the future, you know, 
if you do start coming to a point in which you think you might need assistance or help, where might that come from? You know, I've heard talk of, you know, there might be government programs or grants that can help out senior living providers right now. And also others are just linking up with, you know, financial partners to try to get more flexibility. But yeah, I guess uh, if, if you do end up needing assistance, where, where would you ask for it? Frankly, I, I don't know. Uh, that would be lovely if we could get some help. But I, I never expect anybody to help me. I, you know, we build the company from the ground up and with our internal resources. And unfortunately, we, we did not qualify for the PPP program that the government launched through the small business loan programs because the overall management agreement with all our communities, all our 32 communities, prevents us from uh, qualifying. Even if they have different ownership, each community, which they do for the most part, because of this overall management agreement, we, we got excluded from the program, uh, which in my opinion, of course, I think is completely unfair. And the rules should be changed. We have not received a single penny from the government. We have not received a single penny from the federal or state um, governments. We have not received any assistance from any of the regulators. I believe we're on our own. And that's okay. We'll do the best we can with the resources we have. And hopefully we can, we can get to the other end of the of the abyss without anybody's help. But that would be great if, uh, if the government would step in and help a little bit because we definitely would need that if this continues for longer. Yeah. We've heard a lot about how you know some in this industry feel almost overlooked in the government response. I'm curious, do you feel like senior living has kind of fallen between the cracks here? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Unfortunately, that is the case. Yeah. Switching topics for a second, I know that you all have uh, a decent amount of, of middle market product in your portfolio, if not all of it, I think. So, how do you think COVID nineteen is going to affect that product type? We've heard that we've heard some people tell us that it might actually increase demand for this, but uh, others are not so sure. So, I'm curious how you think it will affect middle market as a product type. I'm not sure. We focus on the middle class market. That is our. That's been our focus since we started the company. We call it the, the forgotten class. Many operators, many companies focus on this, you know, subsidized low income market and uh, others focus on the very high end. We know with golf courses and, and high end amenities, we've always focused on the, on, you know, on the middle class and we provide, you know, transportation, housekeeping, you know, 24 seven meals, all day dining, we call it. Uh, we, we provide activities. We do all those things at a very, very average and cost effective price point. And you could argue that as the crisis intensifies and, uh, you know, people will try to be potentially more frugal, we, our product might become more attractive since we are really cost effective and affordable while providing high, you know, a, a very strong quality. So I think it's possible, but I, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I couldn't tell you beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. That I think everyone's sort of in that position right now. Um, so that, that makes sense to me. You know, I, I wanted to ask about, I know that you all have a storytelling initiative called, I think it's called These Eyes Have Seen. Is that is that what it's called? That is correct. Tell me more about that initiative. And are you still doing it during COVID-19? And uh, if so, like, why why does that deserve some focus right now? It, it's it's a cool effort. I'm, I'm just curious to learn more about it. Absolutely. This Eyes Have Seen is, is an amazing project that we started years ago, and it has been very well received among seniors and families. It, it captures the life stories of seniors living in our communities, and we document it professionally so they don't get lost as seniors uh, move on. 
So the goal is to preserve their life stories for future generations. There's a, there's a lot of good learnings in those stories. There's a lot of value, you know. So we don't we, we shouldn't forget the lessons that history gives us. And you would not believe the the amazing lives that some of our, our seniors have, have lived. Incredibly rich lives. And we're proud to celebrate them. Um, it's a pet project of mine, and uh, it's currently a, a pause until we feel that it's safe to bring reporters and photographers back into the communities. They're not considered an essential service, so we're we're keeping them out of the communities for, for safety's sake. You know, I meant to ask this earlier, Luis, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected your occupancy and move-ins? Obviously, some expect maybe there could be some pent-up demand once all this is over to, to rebound a little bit. But yeah, I guess, how has this affected your occupancy and your move-ins and where do you see the, the way forward from here? Yes, it has. Move-ins have slowed down quite a bit. We have lost 250, approximately 250 basis points in census in, in independent living and around 800 basis points in memory care. It's been a big swing specifically in memory care. We believe that some of that demand is just delayed, just building up, and hopefully we can capture some, you know, at least part of that as the uh, states start reopening and families start feeling more comfortable, you know, going back to normal. But, uh, and it's certainly hurting us financially, but we hope that it's a short-term issue and we can go back to taking care of seniors in our communities and offering, you know, the lifestyle they deserve in, you know, in their senior years. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned reopening too, because on the one hand, you know, you you need things to reopen a little bit to get your move-ins back to normal and to, to get your census back up. On the other hand, as things reopen, you run the risk of falling back into the early days of this pandemic. And we risk, I've, you know, some have told me that they fear another infection spike in their community. So how do you balance that need to return to normalcy with the need to also protect your residents? And does this worry you at all? Everything worries me. I haven't gotten a good night's sleep in a while. On the other hand, I think everything we do in life has some risk. We just have to manage that risk as best as we can. It made a lot of sense to me to go into restricted mode at our communities. And we did that early on before the government forced us to do it. It made sense to go into restricted mode to protect our seniors at the beginning of the pandemic. It afforded us some time to adapt our protocols, to make sure that the hospitals were not overrun or collapsed, to educate our seniors on the stuff. But we, we simply cannot sustain the lockdown for much longer. The lockdown has other medical implications that we cannot ignore. Uh, isolation, depression, reduced access to medical care. Seniors do not, are not visiting doctors as often. Detachment from families. And that's just on the, on the medical side. Forget about the economical, uh, the financial side, which is also dramatic. So this is regardless whether seniors are in a retirement community or, or they're living at home alone. All those situations are happening right now. So as, you know, we're starting to open up in that state allow. For us, the health and well-being of our seniors is the absolute top priority. And we're trying to balance, you know, freedom and, and going back to some sense of normalcy with, with safety. I believe that the, the, now that we're all aware of the situation, I think everybody's washing hands, doing the basic things. I've been doing a lot of research, as you can imagine. I'm doing research about how other countries are addressing the situation. And in my mind, I have uh, two, two models. One is Sweden and one is South Korea. South Korea has done a fantastic job at tracing contagious situations and uh, they, they test, and uh, which is what we're doing, and tracing who's been in touch with who. We can do that pretty effectively in a contained community like ours. 
especially when we're you know we're monitoring who comes in. We take you know we take temperatures of everybody coming in the community. We ask if they've been in touch with anybody or in contact with anybody that has coronavirus. I think that that's proven effective. And like I said, we've only had one one outbreak out of 32 communities. And also in Sweden, you know, where they really have done very little in, in, in the terms of closing down the economy. But that to me tells me that, you know, if you follow basic, basic procedures like washing your hands, keeping, wearing your mask when you're next to somebody else and just keeping your distance, I, I believe that the, the virus can be contained for the most part. And uh, again, keeping the balance between, between safety and, and freedom. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, how some other countries are handling this, because I'm wondering if, it, you know, like you said, if the industry can't pull some parallels. You know, in South Korea, I know that they, they, they've, they've really, really ramped up testing. So do you think that, that in, in the future, the way forward is for the senior living industry to basically have to test everyone in their communities at, you know, in certain intervals to, to make sure that you don't have an, an infection or an asymptomatic infection in your community? I mean, is that, is that the way forward, do you think? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think prevention is the key. And so following the procedures has proven that it works. You know, if you look at the death rate in Sweden versus other countries that completely locked down, in some cases it's actually lower. So all they're doing is following basic hygiene protocols that we, we were already following in our communities. Uh, keep in mind, we were already dealing with the flu. We were dealing with neuroviruses. That's part of our procedures that we just had to adapt them a, a little bit to the specific situation with coronavirus. But I think following basic procedures and once you have symptoms, then you test. My, my suggestion, the way I, I approach it is if you have somebody that has symptoms, then you test everybody around that. You do contact tracing for that person in the community, staff and, and residents alike. And that is a more effective and reasonable way to do it than going to a you know, police situation where you got to test everybody every every week. It's a very complicated situation. What happens if, if they don't want to be tested? You can't force residents or employees to get tested under current law. So, I don't think it's a viable it's a viable option. That's a that's a very good point. I, I actually had not thought about the the legal aspects of this uh, because you're right. If 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 you if there's a if there's a certain number of residents or employees that you simply can't test, even if you test everyone else, there's there's always that unknown. So that's a that's a good point. And, and, and beyond that, let's just say we test somebody, we test the whole community today. That doesn't prevent, you know, somebody from getting it tomorrow. So it's a, it's a, you know, in a way, it's a futile effort just testing for the sake of testing. It, it needs to be testing when there's a purpose to it. Like, you know, we had somebody that's sick. Let's see who else, uh, you know, that person was in touch with, and then we can test those people and try to isolate the situation. That has a very specific use. But I, I don't believe this, this testing for the sake of testing everybody is, is the solution out of this. It would, it would cost trillions of dollars to do that. I've heard some ideas of like testing everybody, you know, once a week and, and things like that for, for the next year. I don't think that's a viable option as, as, a, as a company and as a country. Luis, I know that you came from Boingo Wireless. During all of this uh, pandemic, a lot of providers have talked about how their their wireless networks have been stressed. You know, they have so many residents using tablets and laptops and phones now. And they're all inside, so a lot of the things that they're doing are, are over the network. I'm curious, has your experience in the the wireless world? How does that inform the way you plan for digital infrastructure at uh, Sunshine Retirement Living? Interesting question. Thank you for, for asking that. 
my background is, is in technology. So I, I actually earned a master's in, in science, in computer science and electronics, and I've always been attracted to that world. So I did spend eight years working at, at Boeing Wireless. I spent quite a bit of time optimizing the internal back office procedures to automate as much as possible in time inside my company. We've also, we have a very robust Wi-Fi infrastructure that we, we actually in the pro, in the process of updating as, as we speak, it was already in place. I would say last year we upgraded a hundred percent of all the, the Wi-Fi networks in all of our independent living communities. And we're in the process now of updating, uh, the same infrastructure in the memory care communities. So I believe that, you know, the digital infrastructure is critical for the success of the company. There are a lot of efficiencies to be gained by, by doing a good job between different systems. So we're integrating different systems from different vendors on our back end to, to make things more seamless and to create and solidify a better operating procedure. So I think there's always room for improvement, but we're definitely investing in that. Yeah. And I'm also maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding how wireless or, or digital infrastructure works, but are you preparing for maybe the next health event or the next, God forbid, the next epidemic or the next pandemic where you have to stay inside? And if so, like, how do you prepare your infrastructure for something like that? Well, the first aspect is to have, you know, the right hardware inside the community. So we we're upgrading the, the wireless access points, the number and the bandwidth available for those access points. And the second step is to boost the backbone uh, Wi-Fi, not Wi-Fi, uh, internet that goes into the community. So we've done both over the last, uh, I would say, 12 months. And um, I believe by the end of the summer, all of our communities will have, a, a you know, an upgraded Wi-Fi infrastructure inside the community. Great. Well... Luis Serrano, I had such a, a great conversation with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on Transform. It's, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate the, the time you gave me today. And uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you very much. And that does it for this episode of Transform. Don't forget to check out the SHN Architecture and Design Awards at shnawards.com. As a reminder, submissions open June 1st. The early bird deadline is September 30th, and the final entry deadline is October 31st. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.